0: Take your Bibles and first join me in Proverbs chapter 1 for a short Old Testament reading, and then we will find our way to Matthew chapter 11. Beloved, take note of the progression of Lady Wisdom in this passage that we will read in Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 26. And we will be referring back to it in the message, and then we will go to Matthew 11. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we ask for help now. Upon the occasion of your word being publicly read and preached, I pray, O God, that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight, O God, that you would grant, O Lord, your people to recognize the voice of the Master speaking to them, graciously dealing with them, calling them, commanding them, comforting them. O Lord, let your people, let all of us recognize the authority of your voice herein, your word, and subdue us by it with gladness, with faith. In Jesus' name we ask for it. Amen. Proverbs 1, verse 20 through 26. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will put Spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refused to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Matthew chapter 11. verse 20 through 24. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre, But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. God's word. In our passage tonight, our Lord Jesus Christ comes to save us from the worst kind of impenitence. If he didn't mean to save us from this, He would not have spoken these words to us. What is impenitence? It is refusing to repent. Impenitence is refusing to change your life. It is refusing to stop pursuing a life of sin and self-centeredness and begin pursuing a religious life, a life of faith, a life of obedience to God, a life of prayer. And worship, a life of good works, a life of keeping the Ten Commandments, impenitence refuses all of that. Now, refusing to repent is always a serious issue that leaves you in grave danger, always. There is no safe way to be impenitent. That's not the lesson of this passage. There is no safe way to be impenitent. Everyone who refuses to repent will suffer everlasting torment. Why? Because they will be reckoned by God for what they are. They are antinomian, stony-hearted idolaters. Do you remember being such a one? Instead of believing God's apostles and prophets, instead of believing John the Baptist, instead of believing God's own son, Jesus, the impenitent, worship the creature. They worship the ideas and the instincts of the world, their fellow man. They go through life spiritually blind, pursuing all kinds of lawlessness. But Jesus is saying tonight that not all refusals to repent are equal. That's the lesson of this little passage. Not all refusals to repent are equal. There's a kind of impenitence that is worse than all the other kinds. All are bad, and all will end badly, but there's a kind of impenitence that will make judgment day even worse For those whom God identifies as coming to that day, clinging to the worst kind of impenitence. What is the worst kind of impenitence? It is impenitence after having lived in the cooling shadows of Mount Zion, the mountain of grace, the gospel mountain. This is the worst kind of impenitence. And the principle is stated clearly in verse 20. The cities where most, notice that word, the cities where most of Christ's mighty works had been done were the very cities that had the fewest people repent. Cities that experienced the most, there's that word, the most abundant display of God's grace, they were the cities that refused to repent. This is the worst kind of impenitence. Impenitence in the face of grace is the worst. Now many, of course, refuse to repent because they hear God's law and they hate it. They hate God telling them how to think and what to do. So they let the world tell them how to think and what to do. That's why their lives look so much like all the other unbelievers they know. These folks have lived under the shadow of Mount Sinai and they hate it. That's impenitence before the law. But that is not the worst kind of impenitence. The worst kind is living in the shadows, the cooling shadows of Mount Grace and still refusing to repent. Seeing and hearing about the mighty life of God, seeing and hearing about the kindness of God, seeing and hearing about the mercy of God, seeing and hearing about the steadfast love of God, seeing and hearing about the gift of God, his Son, his Spirit, seeing and hearing all this and still refusing to repent, this is the worst kind of impenitence. Now, there's something in verse 20 that helps make this more clear. It says, Jesus began to denounce the cities. The King James has upbraid. He began to upbraid them, a severe scolding. This statement, he began to denounce these cities, it is itself proof of how kindly Jesus treated these cities previously. When he first came to these cities, he did not denounce them. That's not how he started with them. Denounce means to severely scold. Jesus did not start with the scold. When he first came to these cities, what did he do? He did what our churches should do. He served these cities. Matthew 9.35 says, and this is the near context of all these cities, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now remember, Capernaum was a home base right on the Sea of Galilee. It's where Peter's mother had a house. That's the house where all these people were bringing the sick and the lame to have Jesus heal them late into the night. And Chorazin was... Less than an hour's walk north from there. And um, Bethsaida was across the Sea of Galilee to the east, but within reach. Jesus had much healing ministry and preaching ministry in these cities. He did not first start with these cities bringing, denouncing, severe scoldings. He started with kind gifts, healing gifts, preaching grace and repentance and forgiveness. It's just more evidence that Jesus brought a mountain of kindness. He brought a mountain of mercy to these cities. On this same point, Matthew Henry is right in reminding us to do the very same, not starting with denouncing. Henry says, quote, rough and unpleasing methods must not be taken until gentler means have first been used. Christ did not begin in these cities with scolding. He began with warm invitations and persuasive gifts, healings. And so must we. And this is where the reading from Proverbs 1 is so incredibly helpful. Do you remember the progression of Lady Wisdom? First, in verse 20, she cried aloud in the streets. I'm here. I have something for you. Come to me and I'll give it to you. In verse 23, she's offering her spirit to anyone who turned her. I will make my words known to you, she said. But then in verse 24, she says, I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. There's a shift. And by verse 26, she states that she has been ignored and she says this. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. That's the progression. Starting gentle, generous, offering, but moving into a severity when ignored. Christ, who is the embodiment of all this wisdom, is keeping the same method. By the time he speaks these words, in Matthew eleven twenty and following, he has done so much good in these cities, but has encountered so much indifference, so much impenitence, that he must now speak in the most severe way to do anything good with them. And what does that severity sound like? Well, let's hear it again. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, for the land of Sodom than for you. Did you hear what, you, what our Lord just said? This is him continuing his gospel ministry by shifting his method to severity. He starts by declaring a curse upon these Jewish cities, cities that three of his disciples are from Bethsaida. His home base has been Capernaum. He declares a curse upon these cities. Woe to you! But he immediately adds something to make the curse he is speaking against these Jews as painful as possible to them. Pain in the conscience, pain in the will, pain in the spirit is a method of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's as if, in these words, he slid a knife in their ribs looked for the bone at the tip of the knife, and started poking around on that bone. Hebrews four 4.12 is in effect right in our Lord's preaching here. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. So what is the deepest cut he speaks Jesus says that the pagan Gentile cities which the Jews despise the most, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom, those cities famous among the Jews for their lawlessness, their corruption, their debauchery, those cities would have repented long ago if they had received the same gospel ministry, these three Jewish Jewish cities, had just received. Not only would they have long ago repented, Jesus says, they will now have a more bearable day of judgment than the Jews will have. Now, if your uncle came home after just hearing Jesus say this, he would be as hot as a hornet. This is the most offensive thing that can be said by Jesus to the Jews. But it will save the elect who have ears to hear it. Here's how Calvin explained it. Christ says that there would have been more hope of reformation from those places in which there was no religion than is to be seen in Judea itself. Those cities showed an interest in Christ, Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum. They showed an interest in Christ. They brought their sick to Christ. They brought their lame to Christ. They brought their lepers to Christ. They brought their aunts and their uncles to Christ. They brought their nephews and nieces to Christ. They showed an interest in Christ, brought to his feet, seeking healing touches from him, yet even so, even so, There remained in those cities a stony obstinacy, and ingratitude that most of the people did not repent, did not change when they heard the good news of the kingdom. So this is now like Jesus saying, woe to you, Colorado Springs. Woe to you, Wheaton, Illinois. Woe to you, Appleton. Woe to you, Alabama! It will be easier for Vegas and Washington, D.C., and San Francisco on the Day of Judgment than it will be for you. We might protest, we might say, Look how many people we have given Bibles to in our city. Look how many people we get to come to our special holiday services. Look at how many people buy tickets for the Amy Grant concert coming to the PAC. Look at how many churches we have that confess the Nicene Creed. Jesus says, I am not looking for enthusiasm. I am looking for repentance. I am looking for a life that has changed because it has heard that the king has come. I am not looking for people to say nice things about me, even say true things about me. That's, of course, part of the work of repentance, right? But that can be a fake repentance. Have we changed our lives? That's what he's looking for. Repentance is the key issue in this text, isn't it? Not just sitting in church, not just saying the right things about Jesus. There will be people on the day of judgment we heard in Matthew 7 who will hear Jesus say, Lord, they will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this for you? In your name, didn't we cast out demons? Depart from me, I never knew you. You did not do my will. There was no repentance. Lots of enthusiasm. How do these severe, scolding words then, these penetrating words, how do they save us? I want to give you two answers. Number one, these very severe words of Jesus Christ remind us that impenitence will never go unpunished. If we thought it could, if we thought there was a loophole, these words resolve that and keep us from folly. Impenitence will never go unpunished. As Calvin put it, an awful vengeance awaits us if, after having received the spiritual gifts of Christ, we treat him and his gospel with contempt. If we are ungrateful for the gifts of salvation and therefore refuse to repent because of our rank in gratitude, a severe vengeance waits for us. God will never say, Well, I gave that city so many gospel preachers and so many gospel churches and so many worship services and so many good things. I better save some face and save quite a few people from there. This passage keeps us from that silly thought that God would do such a thing just because we think he should. No, if there is no repentance, there will be nothing but Judgment. Our own confession, chapter 15, titled Repentance Unto Life, states it quite clearly with all the wonderful proof text that without repentance, there is no salvation. If we say nice things about Jesus, even good things, even true things, but we do not repent, We have deceived ourselves. Our faith has no root. We will find judgment day unbearable. And hearing this with the severity that Jesus brings it to our ears keeps us from that fatal conceit that our being impressed with Jesus is all that God requires of us. The second way these severe words save us is this. They drive us to ask Jesus for the good work we most desperately need personally. The grace of repentance. Having a full church is not what we most desperately need. Having Bibles in everyone's house is not what we most desperately need. Living long lives of health And productivity is not what we most desperately need. We need repentance unto life. The Westminster Confession, chapter 15, article 1 says, quote, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. This means repentance is first and foremost a gift from God. To prove this, the confession points to Acts 11.18, which says, When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This severity from Jesus here drives us away from a fatal enthusiasm. The severity of his words drives us to our knees into the dirt, to ask for repentance. Think about our prayers. It's not wrong for us to ask for the healing of our body, to ask for the travel mercies, to ask for the Lord to straighten something that's crooked in our work or in our home. It's not wrong. But this preaching from Jesus is meant to drive you to ask for true repentance If you have not repented, if repentance is a remote, far away thing from your life. As Luther said in number one of his 95 theses, when the scriptures say repent, it means for it to be a lifelong endeavor. Do we ask for repentance? Do we ask that the Lord would grant repentance to unbelieving family? Or do we just want them to live longer, live healthier, make more, be liked more? Now we know from this passage that this severe kindness that our Lord would speak this way is meant to clarify that which we most need from him if we are dead in our sins, if we are cold in our heart, if we merely have enthusiasm for Jesus but not reformation of life. Let us ask him even now. Let us pray. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you for the penetrating sword from your mouth We thank you that you boldly without the fear of men being anywhere in your heart told the Jews that corrupt Gentile pagan cities would have repented and reformed long before them if they had received the same good ministry of healing and good news. We thank you, Lord, for such clarity of how highly you value repentance. We thank you that it is our faith alone which justifies us, that it is our faith alone which unites us to Jesus Christ, But Lord, we thank you that the faith that you give that justifies, it is never alone. It takes root in Christ who is full of purity, full of life, and gives that vital sap to all who have united to him in faith and reforms them, casts them gladly and freely and hungrily upon the religious life, though weakly and poorly and falteringly, but even so truly and permanently. Father, if anyone in hearing this message is a stranger to repentance, but eager to say good things about Jesus, take these words and rebuke them, denounce them, Father, I pray that such a denouncing ministry would save them. And Father, for us who have believed savingly upon Christ, grant that we would, by hearing these things, continue our repentance and not let it grow cold and dusty, but that we indeed, O Lord, would reckon ourselves again Truly, as we are in Christ, dead to the world and alive to God. Help us in Jesus' name we ask. Amen.